Okay, good morning. Good morning. Um, okay, so as Tommy said, I am the uh, intern who is preaching. So Dan, as most of you know, has gone off to Dubai to um, spread the gospel there. And Chad is out of, ta- out of town, and uh, I guess Brady had something better to do. So they put in the C team, and that's me. And so you guys are going to have to bear with me. Um, but um, my prayer today is that, well, this, the passage that I'm going to preach from is harsh, and it is healing, and it is encouraging. And so I address uh, right now the saints in Hattiesburg. Um, we, we have the skewed understanding of sainthood, but those of you who have come to Christ, um, you're saints. And so I want, uh, I want you guys to leave here today encouraged. Uh, the topic I got was sanctification, which is like this huge, broad general topic that's covered in like half the chapters of the New Testament, so I had to try to consolidate this. And if, if you know me, you know that I'm a, a talker and a, um, can be a rambler. And um, so I worked at it to get this sermon down to, uh, you know, it started off at like an hour and a half, so I think I've got it down to an hour. So um, No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to keep you here for an hour. Um, but I'm not going to tell you how long. You're just going to have to Um, guess and stay with me. So I'm going to start off and read uh, the passage. It's 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. And and then I'm going to pray for us. So if you guys would turn with me to 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Okay, now I'm going to read this. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I'm going to pray for us. Father... We declare right now that you are holy and you are worthy of all praise and all honor, God. Um, I pray that you speak through me, Lord. Um, I, I am not worthy to get up and, and preach and, uh, and preach your gospel, but that's, that's the whole point of this Christian thing is that uh, none of us are worthy, but we're made righteous by you. So, Father, I pray that... Uh, um, as I, as I stand up here and say what I feel like you've led me to, that it penetrates the hearts of... Every, I, pray, I pray that everyone's ears are just attentive and uh, listen closely, Father. And I pray that uh, ultimately that you penetrate hearts, Father. We, we want you to be glorified. And let us leave here today encouraged, lifted up. God, thank you so much for, uh, for saving us. And, and I pray that this is communicated clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 6, um, 9 through 11. It starts off with an or, so uh, I need to give you a little bit of context of why he says or. So 1 Corinthians, uh, some of you guys, religion majors in here, fellow religion majors, you guys know all this stuff. Um, Corinth was the Sodom and Gomorrah of the New Testament. It was uh, the hub of just sin and debauchery. Um, you go, their, their main deity that they worshipped in Corinth was the god Aphrodite. 
and you had literally thousands of cult prostitutes that, that were there. And this is how you worshipped Aphrodite. You went and you paid these prostitutes. And so ultimately, prostitution, sexuality, and, and debauchery fueled their economy. So this is an entire city based on sin. Okay, And so here within this city, full of all kinds, all manners of evil, Paul addresses it over and over again in Corinthians. Paul comes, the gospel of Jesus Christ penetrates this city, okay, the city of sin and debauchery, and then little churches begin to, to plant there and to grow. In the midst of all this sin, the gospel penetrates. And so uh, there's little gatherings. Uh, ecclesia is the term in the New Testament, which I love because really ecclesia was a term that was used in the first century to... Um, identify little gatherings where Caesar, or big gatherings where Caesar is proclaimed Lord. Ecclesia was the, the, the buildings where you go and you, you worship Caesar, you proclaim Caesar as Lord, but the Christians coined this term and they said, I like that, we're going to use that to proclaim Jesus as Lord. So these little ecclesias begin to pop up uh, in Corinth. And so Paul here, he's addressing, he's writing this letter to the, the people of Corinth. Um, and because of their surroundings, because of the influence, this, of all the cities that Paul writes to, this one he has the most rebukes for. Um, there's a lot of division. There's a lot of problems going on. But particularly here in this passage, we're seeing believers or we're seeing these churches, uh, people within these churches bringing lawsuits against one another. Now, Paul is talking to, uh, and that, what's scary about 9 through 11 is that he is addressing that to a church, to, pe to people within the church. Um, Verse, verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1 says, When one of you has a grievance against one another, does he dare go before the law, um, go before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And so, you know, the, the church is forming and it's growing. There's a lot of people being added to it. And then uh, divisions start forming about uh, the carpet or the, you know, contemporary worship or traditional worship. Um, no, but he, he says that uh, they're having these little tiffs, these little problems. And then, and then he says, is there not one wise enough among you to settle these disputes? He's saying, and then he goes on in verse 7, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud your own brothers. So he just kind of comes in with like this punch to the gut and he's just like, you guys don't even, you guys have already lost the point and you're defrauding and wronging your own brothers, you know? And so this is the context. And then he says, after this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. So he's talking to a little gathering of people, you know, who claim to be brothers and sisters in Christ, who claim to be believers. And yet he's saying that the unrighteous people among you, and to this church that he wrote to, the unrighteous people among you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. And then he says, and then he gives this big list of defining, and this is not at all a comprehensive list of what defines um, unrighteousness, but this idea of do not be deceived. So it's possible then to be deceived. And I think this is very applicable for our church, um, our church culture especially today, because uh, we have allowed this deception into our church. Is it possible for you to think that you are something you're not? Okay. To illustrate my point, I want to share with you a story from my childhood. Um, uh, fifth grade, uh, the movie, the Disney Channel original movie, Brink, comes out. 
And many of you know what I'm talking about. That will forever go down in my book as the greatest Disney Channel original movie, okay? The main character, Andy Brinker, okay? He had this like, at that point the haircut was cool, I don't know about now. Um, you know, he wore the baggy jeans and they, and, they, and they were rollerbladers. They were rollerbladers and there was this like fight between the rollerbladers and the skaters and... Um, <laughs> And they had this like cool attitude, like this rebellious attitude, but it was Disney Channel, so they couldn't be that rebellious. But, um, and uh, I wanted, I mean, I wanted to be Andy Brinker, or Brink. Um, so I remember uh, just begging my dad, Dad. And you see, this is all the kids in the neighborhood are watching this movie, you know. And they're all begging their parents, and we're all getting rollerblades, and we're having <laughs> little skate parties, you know. <laughs> and see, at my driveway, for those of you guys, some of you guys have this driveway where it goes like this, but then there's that little extra thing at the end. That was our ramp. We were ramping, and we were grinding, and well, we weren't, you know, we thought we were. And, uh, you know, we carry our boom box outside, and we put it down, and we're playing secular music. Um, <laughs> I know, yeah. My mom walks out, I turn it to Caleb real fast. But, um, and then, you know, we're blaring it, and the, the police officer that lives in our uh, house drives by, and we turn it down, we all run like we did something really horrible, you know, because we're rebels and skaters, that's what we do. Um, I remember I identified myself. I thought, man, that's me, I'm a skater. Like, I am a skater. And I even tried to get the haircut, didn't work out for me. You see the pictures. Um, it was a rough time. Um, I identified with myself as a skater, and so I remember going to my dad and being like, Dad, you got to take me to the skate park. I'm a skater. you got to take me to the skate park. You know, I can't go my, I'm fifth, fifth grade. You know, I can't drive. So you got to take me to the, and he, he wouldn't do it. He said, you know, I don't think you're ready. No, come on. Finally, I convinced him, you know, geared up with elbow pads, knee pads, hand pads, helmet, everything. I'm like walking out there like this and then putting my skates on. And I remember getting there and immediately upon arrival, I see other skaters, other fellow skaters. Um, and, they're, and they're tearing it up, you know, doing like 180 tail grabs and like 360s, all this cool stuff. And, I'm like, and I remember seeing them immediately and just being taken back and being, I can do that. Uh, that's no big deal, you know. Um, and so I, I remember thinking to myself, okay, well, it's the moment of truth. I'm a skater, so I'm going to act like a skater. You know, so I go out there, and I'm just going down the little ramps here, and I'm watching them, and, you know, with dreamy eyes, watching them do all these moves and stuff, and I'm like, okay, it's time for the half pipe. It's time for the half pipe. And so I remember um, cl- climbing up to the top of the half pipe, you know, and I felt, felt like all eyes were on me. I don't know if they were, but that's what it felt like. And I remember looking down and thinking, it's a lot further down than I thought, but it's okay because I'm a skater. And so, <laughs> I, as, I, as I begin to, my dad's watching, you know, closely. As I begin to go over the edge, I remember getting this adrenaline rush and this feeling this, oh, I feel the, the wind in my helmet. Um, and, <laughs> and I go down and I think, Approximately 1.4 seconds later, I feel an intense stinging sensation shoot through my tailbone, which is being fractured, and through the rest of my body. My feet are up in the air. I'm laying on my back. And in this moment of shame, if it wasn't bad enough, my daddy comes and picks me up and carries me over his shoulder. And I, and I look back over his shoulder as the skaters are laughing at me as, I, as I'm being carried away by my dad and have to lay on my stomach on the seat on the way home because I just fractured my tailbone. And it was, it was not my proudest moment. But I identified myself as a skater, and I thought, man, I'm a skater. But immediately upon arrival, I saw these people committed to it, who loved it, 
who did it all the time, and I immediately saw the difference. I saw, I've, I've identified myself as this, but they look a little more like this than I do. And then uh, I think that, that tailbone incident, I put down the skates for a very long time, and I never came back to them the same, uh, with the same intention. I was not a skater. I said I was. I had told my friends I was. I tried to look like one, but I wasn't. Paul's saying, do not be deceived. There are people within your ecclesia, within this community, whose lives are typified by this unrighteousness. They identify themselves as this, but they're not. They are not. And so we see, um, let's see, these people who claim, he says in 1 Corinthians later, people who claim to be brothers and yet live in this way, in this sinful lifestyle, they're not brothers, and you don't even associate with them. They are totally blaspheming the name of Christ. They claim to be this, and you see this all the time. You see it especially in our church culture. You see people who say, I'm a follower of Christ, and yet they totally misrepresent Christ in every way of their life. And then people all look to them and say, that's what Christianity is. I don't want any part of that. Paul has heavy things to say about that. Paul, what he's doing here, and I love this because this first part is pretty harsh, okay? But what he's doing, he's he's creating this dichotomy of who you were, because he's talking to the saints in Corinth, who you were and then who you are now. And see, let's, let's some, I love, I I took some other scriptures and you guys don't have to turn here. I'll just um, read them uh, or mention them. Uh, Who you were, you were unrighteous before Christ. If you do not have Christ, You were unrighteous. All these things, um, okay, maybe not everything in this list applies to you, but if anything of this applies to you in a practice sense, and when you are typified by these things, whenever you live in these things, it says that you are unrighteous. Romans 1 sums it up quite, um, oh shoot, I'll have to turn there. Um, I thought I had it written down. Okay, here we go. Um, Romans 1 says it, uh, (laughs) Paul kind of goes on a, a rant here. He's talking about you before Christ. Before Christ, he's talking about you. And he says, um, filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are uh, gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree, they being you and me, though they know God's decree and who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. This is us outside of Christ, before Christ. So who were you before Christ? Unrighteous. Not only were you unrighteous, you were a slave to that unrighteousness. Everyone is a slave either to unrighteousness, which leads to death, Romans 6, or righteousness, which leads to eternal life. So you are a slave to that unrighteousness. You are estranged from the family of God, meaning you're not a son or daughter of God whenever you're not in Christ. We have this misconception everyone's a child of God. 1 John 3.10, it says that you're a devil. You're a son of the devil, actually. Wow. That kind of blows that out of the water. It says you're an enemy of God, Romans 5.10. Dead in your trespasses, Ephesians 2.1. Without Christ, there is no life. It says that you're, you're dead and, you're, and your life is leading. Well, why do you think the whole world is tearing itself apart? You know, everyone living in death. With no, everyone's looking for the meaning, the purpose of life and no one's finding it. And we have all the answers we need right here. So let's sum up. Before Christ, 
unrighteous, slaves to your sins, sons or daughters of the devil, an enemy of God, dead in your trespasses. Do not be deceived and do not deceive yourselves. Paul says, okay, and real fast I'll touch on this. You're... Paul says, if you're doubting, and we're going to talk about your salvation more um, in a second, but you don't go back to a prayer you prayed when you were seven. Paul nowhere says, you know, someone comes to Paul and says, "Uh, Paul, you know, I'm doubting my salvation. What do I do? And he doesn't say, well, was there ever a time in your life whenever you asked Jesus to come into your heart? And you say, well, yeah, you know, were you genuine? Well, yeah, well, then you need to tell the devil to leave you alone. We don't see that. What we see is Paul in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourself, test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Or do you not know that you have the Son of God, Jesus Christ, living inside of you unless you don't meet the test? That is scary. That's not as simple and cut and dry as have you prayed a prayer. But here's the thing that we're going to see eventually is that later we're going to talk about sanctification and how when you come to Christ, he is making you better and those fruits will be there. Those convictions will be there. And we'll get more into that in a second. Your salvation is not based on a past decision. It's based on who you are right now in Christ because he's saving you every minute. Okay, so we have that kind of bleak part of who you were. Now I want to talk for a second about who you are. And this is beautiful. I love this. Um, He says in verse 11, And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He is defining who you are. He says, and such were some of you, some of you were unrighteous, dead, all of this stuff we just talked about, but, and that is one of the most beautiful buts in Scripture. I'm going to rephrase that. That is an incredibly important conjunction that we see. Um, Yikes. Um, But it is, it's beautiful. We see, okay, such were some of you, but now you have been washed. Notice the passive voice. Washed, you have been sanctified, and you have been justified. This is being done to you, okay? This is not somehow you mustering up enough uh, good works or faith to wash yourself or sanctify or justify yourself. No, no, no. This is done to you. It's not so much a focus on the past tense with washed, sanctified, and justified as much as the passive voice. God does this to you. What's interesting, though, is the chronology. Um, For those of you uh, who, you know, study theology and the salvation experience is typically identified in three... um, I guess we can call them categories. I don't, I don't think that the categories, we'll just say they're justification, sanctification, and glorification. The, the, the topic of this message is sanctification. Now, but we usually see justification, sanctification, and glorification. And justification is the point where you're born again, where the Spirit of God makes you new, cleanses you by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and you're changed in that moment, and you're justified, made righteous before Christ. It's a, before God. It's a legal term, okay? It's like you're declared um, innocent, before God, even though you're absolutely guilty, but because of Christ, you're declared innocent. And then you have sanctification, which is this process by which you are being made more and more into the image of Christ as your life goes on. And then glorification, which is the eternal life um, part of it, being with God, um, worshiping with him forever. Um, So that's the way we typically see it. And if we're not careful, we can get into this like domino effect kind of mentality where you think of it, well, I was saved, God saved me, so then... 
I ought to be good. I ought to do good things. I had to please God with my life. And so he saved me, so I should do this. And then I do all these good things. You know, I have a good life, and I've been saved, so I do these good things, and so I get to go to heaven and not hell. We miss the point in that. And Paul here, I think he's intentional with the way he words this. You've been washed, sanctified, and justified. This washing he's talking about is that spiritual regeneration, that moment whenever you see yourself for who you are, broken, hopeless, unrighteous, all those things we talked about, and that he makes you righteous. That is the point where he's talking about being washed, like a newborn baby who can't even wipe his own butt. You know what I'm saying? And then God does it for you because you can't do it. You can't do it. He washes you, makes you clean. You're, you're justified in that moment before God. And then you're sanctified. Now the idea here um, is this consecration. You're set apart from this point and you're made holy. And you are set apart to live a life of holiness. And you will live a life of holiness. You will grow in your faith. Um, and then he says justified. And so he's wrapping all this up into one big spiritual gift, grace gift to the believer. It's not in these separate categories. It's all done. And then he says, how is it done? These things were done to you in the name of Jesus by the power of the Spirit of God. So it's all imparted to you in one big blow to the believer who comes to Christ in that moment. So you were unrighteous, slave to your sin, sons and daughters of the devil, an enemy of God and dead in your trespasses. That's who you were. But now, and look, and man, the grace of God is imminent. Oh, you see this all over the New Testament. I'm going to pull out a few scriptures. Who you were, but who you are now. You were unrighteous, but now 2 Corinthians 5.21, you're made righteous. Made righteous. You were a slave to your sin, but Romans 6.18 says, now you are free from your sin. You were a slave, and now you're free. You were estranged from the family of God, an orphan, not deserving to be adopted in any way, but Romans 8.15 says that you... Okay, I have to read that because that is one of my favorite um, scriptures. Romans 8.15. I've got all my notes all mixed up. Sorry. Who you are. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom you cry out, Abba, Father. Now look at that. You were an enemy. You've made God your enemy, and yet he adopted you. Why? There's nothing good in you that made him do that, but he did. He wanted you. He chose you. Like an adoption, you know, a kid doesn't choose his parents. The parent comes and he chooses the son, and he chose you. He adopted you, and now you cry out, Abba, Father. So, let's see here. You were adopted. And you went from being an enemy of God to, bring, to being a friend of God. You've crossed from death to life here in this life. John 5, 24 says that, that you have crossed from death to life now. And that's what I love because we've kind of created this thing in our church culture that, that, that says, you know, when you get saved, you get this rocket ship ride to heaven when you die. But Jesus says that when you come to me, you cross from death to life right now. I'll read it. John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes who sent me has eternal life. He has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he passed from death to 
to life. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here and it's now. And when you come to Christ, you cross from death to life here in this life. And you walk the narrow road and you take anyone, you share anyone this good life. You show them what it means to walk the narrow road and how it, what it does for you and what you're living in the reality that you were made for. And you're showing everyone that this is the way. This is the way to life. You are headed for death outside of Christ and this is life. Very unorganized right now, I'm sorry. So all of this, you were washed, sanctified, and justified because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. In Jesus' name. He was crushed on the cross. We, and I don't want to talk about this for one second. Um, what Jesus did on the cross, he wasn't just nailed. He wasn't just beaten. Um, he, he sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. You guys know that story. He was sweating blood. Why? Not because um, they were about to put nails in him and beat him. How many martyrs throughout history went to their graves, skinned alive, burned at the stake, singing hymns of praise? How much tougher do you think the Son of God was? He wasn't afraid of a Roman cross. What he was about to undertake for you was the wrath of God totally poured out in one crushing blow. Isaiah says that it pleased the Father to crush him for you and for me. Understand, he's worthy. He's infinitely worthy of your worship, of your service, of everything. And you don't do this begrudgingly. You do this because you're filled with his spirit, given, forgiven, washed, justified, and sanctified. This is why you serve him. Okay, so that's who you are. Made righteous. You're free from your sin. Adopted as sons and daughters, chosen before the foundation of the world, brought into communion with the creator of the universe. Jesus calls us a friend of God. <laughs> That's outrageous. A friend of God. You're made alive. So this all begs the question, what now? Um, what do I do now? Because we live in a reality, we live in this physical world um, where we have to continue. We, we've been brought from death to life. We've entered into the kingdom of heaven, but now uh, we have to continue on in this life until Christ comes back or we die and receive our glorified body in heaven. Um, so, let me find where I'm at because I'm so lost. Who? Okay. Um, okay, now we're good. Good to go. Um, sanctification. That's what I want to focus on, that sanctified part. Now, sanctification is... Like I said, the process by which you are being made more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Okay? And it is a process. It is a lifelong process. And Scripture promises that you are getting better. You see, Jesus Christ is the chemotherapy to your sin cancer. And chemotherapy, my aunt is going through it right now. And she's throwing up. And she's going through a lot of pain because of it. But what? The cancer is going into remission. And that is what is happening through Jesus Christ ripping out the sin, the evil, the darkness in your body. And sometimes that hurts, and it's a process. But Scripture promises, Scripture promises in Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. This is what's happening to you. There's no getting around it. I like that because I think I could try to get around it. <laughs> um... 
One thing that we live in is this dichotomy that we struggle with with sanctification is if I've been made righteous, and, and, and know, know this, Jesus is the one who's making you righteous, um, yet I still have to act. I still have to do things in this world. And so we live with this like, it, it can be confusing at times. How do I live? You know, why am I still struggling with sin? Um, how do I overcome this sin? What are, you know, all these questions are going around in our head and we, and, and we turn to the scripture and that'll tell you that everything you need for life and godliness is what it says in here. Everything that you need is right here in this book. So how do I live in the light of this truth? Um, this truth that I've been washed and bought and paid for. Uh, there's two confusions that we can fall into that are not Christian. Um, legalism uh, and license. Legalism is this idea uh, that, okay, well, Jesus died for me, so therefore I need, to, I need to pay him back with my life. I need to serve him in every aspect, and, and, I need to, and anyone who doesn't do that is not paying him back, and they're not Christians. It's this legalistic attitude, this mindset. Um, and some of us can fall into that, working too hard um, to earn something that's already been bought and earned, and like we said, gifted to you in that one big um, gift, the grace gift through the Holy Spirit. Um, the other side is where more people fall, especially in our um, church culture today, is this license where, well, I got my get out of hell free card. I got my rocket ship ride to heaven so I can do what I want, you know? That is not what scripture says at all. Scripture says if your life is typified by this unrighteousness that you live in, that you don't know God. I needed someone to tell me that growing up. I thought I was a Christian for, you know, 15 years of my life. Um, because I said a prayer one time. I was never changed. I was ne- I had, whenever I was changed, man, I was filled with joy and it hasn't stopped since. Like, I love people that I shouldn't love now. And it's not me, it's Christ. I know that. I know that there's nothing good inside of me. You know? It's, it's all done in an instant. You know, and some people don't know when that moment is because, you know, they were told, okay, well, you prayed a prayer. So, and what I see with some people is, you know, they want, they see what's good. They want, they become part of the community of a church. And then somewhere along the way, they give up that, they give up themselves and they repent and they turn to Christ. And some people can't identify that moment. And that is okay because Paul doesn't say, look back to the moment you were saved. He says, look at your life now. He has saved you and it's going to show. How do you treat people? Do you, how do you love other people? Do you forgive? Or, you know, and you're not going to be perfect. And we're going to talk about that in a second. Um, so, legalism versus li- license. So what's the appropriate response? The appropriate response to justification is now we gladly serve our God and Father. We gladly serve Him. We do, it's, the law that was once a burden to us is now a delight. And Paul says, I de- or not, uh, the psalmist says, I delight in the law of the Lord. It's something that now we once thought, oh, I could never do that. Now it's like, man, all I want to do is to delight in this law and serve God. Why can we do that? Because we've been transformed by the renewing of our minds and the washing of the word. We are completely new creatures, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, brought from death to life in this life at the point of regeneration. We're full of the Holy Ghost, and now our inner disposition no longer leans naturally towards sin, but it leans naturally towards righteousness. And when you go to that sin, it makes you sick. Now, we, there's like two parallel universes now. You saint. Augustine talked about it, the, the kingdom, the city of God versus the city of man. 
Um, Martin Luther talks about it, uh, the, the kingdom of man, the kingdom of God. Um, it's this parallel. So when you come to Christ, you at that point enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said the kingdom is here and it is now. And you've been commissioned to build the kingdom. Right? Amen. And it is now our job as saints, bought and justified, to spread this kingdom all over the earth. You see, we've been commissioned to fix the planet. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ came, he started it, and now this parallel kingdom is spreading all over the place. And God's name is being worshipped to the ends of the world. That is our job, is to go to every corner and see that he is worshipped as he should be. That is who we are. We have a purpose. We have the ultimate purpose in life. Truth. So, a question, um, why do I still sin? Why do I still struggle with it? Um, Paul struggled with it, and that gives me a little bit of hope. Um, if you would turn to Romans 7, and I'm going to uh, read that for you. That is such an encouragement to me. And this is kind of long, but just hear what I'm saying. And, hey, and also, for one second, let me get your attention. I tend... As one who, I get up and preach. I'm a religion major. But for some reason, whenever preachers read the Bible, I tune out. Well, he'll explain it later. You know? That's what I think. So I ask you to pay close attention to what the Word of God is saying right now. Why do I still struggle with sin? Romans 7, 15 through 25. For I do not understand my own actions. This is Paul talking. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin who dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, I do what I, oh. now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. Man, that's like the most schizophrenic verse in the New Testament. Like, no, 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 yes, no. And so he's going at it. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see my members... Another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. He is saying that he struggles with, he's, why do I do these things I don't want to do? Da, da, da. And it's this big, this big thing going back and forth. But then what do we see in Romans 8? It's this glorious declaration. He says, but there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It doesn't matter that you're struggling. It doesn't matter that you're going through. You're getting better, the scripture promises. And it doesn't matter what you're going through. You're getting better and there's no condemnation for you. It goes on to say that you're adopted. You're more than a conqueror. Man, that is where we live. We live in that grace. Okay. Uh, I like the illustrations uh, that Paul Washer uses, so I'm going to use it. Um, okay, this is this idea that you have been changed, and yet you're still struggling with sin. So he takes, you have a pig, right? You take a pig, you put pig slop here on the left, and you take a uh, steak dinner and put it on the right. Okay, where's, where's the pig going to go? Straight to the pig slop. He's going to go to it. You know, and it's nasty. It's like all kind of stuff thrown together. It smells awful to, to a human being. You, and, but he's going to go to it every time. So you take this pig, 
and you turn him into a man, okay? Now, where is he going to go? Straight to the steak dinner every time, okay? So he's going to go to that steak dinner, but you take this man, and he's going to think to himself sometimes, man, remember back when I was a pig? That pig slop was pretty good. Maybe I'll just go have a little, little try. So he gets down on his hands and knees. He starts eating it. What's going to happen? He's going to upchuck that stuff everywhere. That's the grossest term for throwing up. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. He is, but he's going to be sick. He's going to be totally disgusted with it. He's going to get up. He's going to be like, why did I ever even like that at all? This is what I want. This is good. The steak dinner is good. Now, look, we have been changed into divine, righteous human beings now by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so that sin, that pig slop, if you go to it, you're going to be sick. Your inner disposition no longer prefers that. You now prefer righteousness, that steak dinner, Jesus Christ, the holiness of God. That's what you want. You don't want that anymore. And sometimes you'll go back. Sometimes you'll do that. And what's going to happen, you'll be sick about it. You'll hate it. You have been changed. Okay. And what I also love, and I don't have time to... There's so much about sanctification. Um, uh, The doctrine of perseverance of the saints, this idea that whenever you become saved, that he has got you forever. He's adopted you, and he's not going to banish you. There's nothing you can do to lose that adoption. I wish that I could really get into that, but I want to... The analogy of God as a father is enough for me to understand that there's nothing I can do to lose that. Because, look, uh, parents, if you see your, you know, 10-year-old son out at the park... You're driving by at night and you see him out and he's some, for some reason he's out and he shouldn't be and he's smoking weed and getting drunk with a bunch of people. What are you going to do? You know, drive on and be like, well, that's his decision. No, you're going to get out there. You're going to grab him by his collar and drag him into the car. You're going to discipline him in love because you care about him, because you love him. Our Father, how much more does our Father care about us? When you go astray, as we do, prone to wander, when you go astray, our Father is going to grab you by the collar and bring you back. He promises it. So, one last point. Stick with me. How do we grow to overcome sin? How do we overcome it? So we're talking about why we still sin. Also, we should mention 1 John 1, 8. You will still sin. Um, you're not given. We will not achieve holy perfection in this life. We get, like we talked about, a holy direction. We are now permanently fixed towards this other way. And you'll stray sometimes, but overall, the direction of your life is headed in this way. Roman, or, or 1 John 1, 8 says, He who says he's without sin is a liar and the truth is not in him. You're not going to be perfect. And let me tell you why. Because the closer you get to the glory of God, okay, the closer, then as, as you get that sin, that death, the leftovers of that flesh will be revealed more and more. So as you get closer to God through your life as you grow, as you see him for who he is and see you for who you are. Sins that you never even thought were sins start coming up and you get convicted about it. I love talking with old, well, let's not say old, we'll say seasoned believers. Why? Because as they've grown in their walk and in their faith, they have a totally different understanding of God than I do right now. And I know that that's because I'm growing, but it's because they look and they weep. I, and I've talked to him and he, I, over a prideful thought. He breaks down and cries and weeps before the Lord because he says, oh, what, what Paul, hero of the faith, wretched man that I am. The closer you get to God, the more you see the ugliness left over, and he's going to 
Take it out, a little bit at a time. That cancer is going away. And eventually, it's gone and you receive your glorified body forever. So how do we overcome it? Um, abide, that is the word. That is how you overcome. Abide. John 15, 24. I think I've got it written down. Um, John 15, 24. No, I'm sorry, John 15, 4. Jesus says, Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What is fruit? We look at Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. All these things start to be honed in you as a human being because all of this is imparted to you by the Holy Spirit. It's not you doing this and mustering up. It's God changing you from the inside out. He says, you abide in me. So how do we abide? How do we abide? We abide through constant communion with our God and Creator through prayer and ultimately through the washing of the Word. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them in truth. Sanctify them in truth. Your Word is truth. This is how your sanctification progresses. Because, and if you don't have a love for His Word, cultivate it. Discipline yourself. I mean, Paul talks about spiritual disciplines. Capture your mind. There's things that we have to do. You must act. Go to his word. And I'm telling you, he, that, there are some people that grow faster than others. That's just a reality. Some people get saved and, and then all of a sudden they've grown exponentially within a few months. And generally that is because they have a, they have a deep understanding of what the word of God is, this book. And they love it. And they read it. And they let it direct their life. Man, I, I, I read some of the um, heroes of the faith, missionaries, uh, C.T. Studd, you know, William Carey, all these guys, and man, they read scripture and prayed for like hours a day, and I'm like struggling to get one hour, you know, like, you know, my mind is wandering, thinking about this and that. Man, that's what I'm talking about, as you, as you cultivate this faith, this, and understand that this faith that saved you is the faith that's going to make you better and get you stronger and make you, you know, look at biology. When a baby is born, he doesn't stay a baby. And you have been born again if you're in Christ. And you will grow. And you can do things and injure yourself and stunt your growth, but you're still going to grow. You will grow. So... All of that to say, I pray for those of you, the saints in Hattiesburg, those of you, I mean, there's, we're all struggling with sin. We are all dead center in the middle of our sanctification. And that's why I can get up and preach because I know that I can't be that much worse than you guys, you know? We're all in this together, right? And what does sanctification do? It builds community because we understand that we're all in this together. We bear each other's burdens. It says, um, confess your sins to each other. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. All of this found in the word of God like we've been talking about. This is where life is. So to the saint in here who struggles with bitterness towards your mother, your father, brother, or sister, 
or a friend. Forgive. Let go of that. You're hurting yourself. To the saint in here struggling with lust or pornography, it doesn't matter. That is beaten. The victory is won. Okay? Rest in that. Okay? Fight. And Paul says this is a battle. Put on the full armor of God. To you in here who is struggling with selfishness, okay, pride, anything, God has overcome it already. And, and it's not held against you. It is as far as from the east is from the west. It is not held against you. And so you are fighting a winning battle. Jesus promises. The word promises you're getting better. So think of it in these terms. You fight with everything you've got. You're, you're giving reins to the spirit. And, you're, and that stuff makes you sick. But you are now headed in this direction. And that is who you are. The beauty of Christianity is that we are all created in the image of God, right? Why, even people who don't know Christ, when you do good things, when you give generously and selflessly, why does that feel good? Because it's the divine reality that you were created for. It is who you are in the image of God. And when you come to Christ, your entire worldview changes. And you don't no longer do these good things because it makes you feel good. You do these good things because this is reality for you. This is the divine, this is the kingdom of God that you're spreading and building all over the planet. This is the meaning of life. And there are people all over this city and the world who don't understand, who, who have seen people in our churches who have been deceived into thinking that they're saved or they just claim it. And they think that Christianity is just a hypocrite, bigot religion where they just want to judge people. Well, we're not here to judge people. We're here to love people and, and, and love each other. Do, do not let, like 1 Corinthians, don't let divisions come up among you. People, Jesus says people will recognize you by the love you have for each other. People see that they want to be a part of this, this ecclesia, this community. So let us leave these doors, go out into the world, knowing that we have been commissioned by the king into the kingdom of God. We'll understand you're living in the kingdom of God. And the beauty is, is that when you do God's will, not my will, but yours be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you do that, when you do that, you bring the kingdom of heaven crashing into earth in that moment, and people see it. Let your light so shine before men so that they see your good works and glorify God in heaven. Man, leave this place today. Go, go into your workplace, go into your school, and show the grace and love that you've been shown. It's attractive. People want that. People need that. In a world of death, in a world of despair, people need you. Christ has chosen to work through broken sinners. What an encouragement. I'm going to pray for us. Father God, thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for this, this book. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus, the word made flesh. Lord, let us understand. Let me understand the gravity of these words. Let us believe, let us understand in our hearts that these are not written down, penned from the hearts of man, but this is directly from your heart and that you have given us everything we need in this book and through the spirit of, of God. Lord, I pray that, that the venue, ecclesia, this gathering of people, this community of broken believers understands their calling and their commissioning. To not sit around and complacent because they get to go to heaven and not hell, but they get to totally be satisfied, most satisfied in you, and you will be most glorified in that. Let us be satisfied in you. The meaning of life is to make your name known more. 
And what a joy it is, God. Thank you so much that it's not this burden, but since you give us yourself, it's just a delight. We delight in your law, and whenever we serve and we love, we spread this kingdom in Hattiesburg and to the ends of the earth. I pray that you call us out. Call us out of our complacency. And if, God, if there is, in in a room this big, there are people here who don't know you, God, I pray that they see that you're not out to take away the fun, but you are here to give them life and life abundantly. Everyone's looking for something. Everyone's empty inside. It says in the scripture that we are dead without you. And so there's so many dead in Hattiesburg. And you, oh, you just want to bring life. You say it is not your will that any should perish, but all should come to know you. So I pray, it is a big prayer, but that everyone in this room's heart is penetrated to where they want you. And they see you for what you are, see themselves for what they are. And they understand that the good The good in this world, the true good, selfless good comes from you. And it comes from knowing you and giving up ourself and running to you, repenting and turning away from that. Lord, I pray today there are people that are washed, sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of his spirit. I beg you, Lord, to move. Show us your glory. Thank you so much. Um, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity, Lord. Uh, I pray that I didn't get in the way with my <laughs> stuttering and my um, lack of organization. God, um, I pray that you move, move now, here and now. And if there's anyone who, who needs you, they, 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 I pray that today they seek out someone to talk to about it. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, uh, for moving. Thank you for sanctifying us and making us better, for healing us. Thank you for the promise that we're forever yours adopted sons of God. We pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.